This is Scott, host of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast and Black author. You could get all three of my books. My first book, Systematic Racism and Capitalism, Alliance of Oppression. My second book, Hypocrisy in America, The Veil of White Supremacy. And my third book, my first novel, Exodus 2035, all available on Amazon.com and Amazon Kindle. If you don't have a Kindle, you can download the Kindle app to your smartphone or tablet and you can access those products. Thanks for listening. Um, don't forget you and you network. You can find that on Instagram, you and you underscore network, where you can find all the shows uh, under the you and you network. Shout out to the you and you network. You know what I'm saying? And all those podcasts that's on you and you network. Thank for the you and you network that had brothers at you and you network. You can check out the socials at you a n d u underscore network. There are a lot of people around the country hoping it is just a start, but still, it is an historic day in Evanston, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. That city is now the very first in America to make reparations available to some of its black citizens after generations of discrimination, particularly in the housing sector. Evanston City Council last night voted 8 to 1 to distribute $400,000 to eligible families for home repairs or down payments on property. The details of the plan, quote, the program is being funded through donations and revenue from a 3% tax on the sale of recreational marijuana. The city has pledged to distribute $10 million over 10 years. Qualifying residents must either have lived in or been a direct descendant of a black person who lived in Evanston between 1919 and 1969 and who suffered discrimination in housing because of city ordinances, policies, or practices. Joining us now is Jelani Cobb, staff writer for The New Yorker and professor of Columbia Journalism School. Jelani, Professor Cobb, I should say, Thank you so much for joining me on this. It, it does feel like an historic day. For people who don't understand, the housing sector, the housing market in America is really ground zero for structural racism. Sure. Uh, I mean, there's a whole body of historical literature on this. I mean, literally, you can just tick off the books uh, that uh, you know historians of this stuff know. Uh, and it is, you know, very clear that you know housing has been the major engine uh, for wealth acquisition uh, for American households. And so, what is the compound effect of having a whole sector of the community, whole sector of the population, excluded by and large from the ability to accrue equity uh, in their homes, the ability to get uh, home loans, uh, the ability to get into housing that would then become a means of financing college uh, for their kids or their grandchildren or retirement. There's a whole set of compound effects here. Uh, and so it's not shocking at all that if people were looking for some place to begin pulling this ball of yarn, that housing would be one key string that you could pull at. Yeah, and what, what I think will shock people is how recently this structural racism was being practiced. City leaders decided to first address housing following a report last year that showed how, starting with the arrival of the first black resident in 1855, Evanston, the city in question here, restricted where blacks could live. Despite the city passing a fair housing law in 1968, evidence showed that as late as 1985, Jelani, I believe you and I were, were alive at that point, real estate agents continued to steer black residents 
renters and home buyers to a section of town where they were the majority. The vestiges of racial segregation remain evident. 1985, I think one of the meaningful things about this is we're talking about a group of people. This is not slavery, which was a long time ago. This is the 20th century. Welcome to the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. You can find this show on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Spotify. Everybody should be following me on Instagram at unprocessed underscore knowledge. You can also follow the UNU Network. Hit the link tree in the bio for the UNU Network to access all the podcasts on the network. You can also hit the link tree in my bio under my Instagram not only get access to this podcast, but all three of my books available on Amazon.com. That clip in the intro, courtesy of MSNBC, Everston, Illinois becomes the first U.S. city to pay reparations to black residents. Definitely shouldn't be the last. Every city, every county, every ward, every territory in this country should be paying reparations to black residents. And what was so heavy in that clip is the reparations being paid due to housing discrimination. What's so powerful is how they break down in that clip, how housing discrimination was ground zero for racism and not two, three, 400 years ago, up until 1985. Here's what people have to realize. Land is the only thing they're not making more of. Land equals wealth. Land equals generational wealth. Systemically, black people have been locked out of land ownership, of home ownership. So they've been locked out of intergenerational wealth. Why? Because I'm going to pass laws saying you cannot buy property on in this on this side of town. I'm going to pass law. I'm going to pass laws and enforce them saying you can't live here. So if you can't live here, if you can't buy property here, what I'm doing is I'm passing laws, making sure you can never, never, never have property that is valuable and pass that down. And over time, we all have grandparents who paid what, 50, 60, 70 thousand dollars for a house 30, 40 years ago. Now that house is worth what, three, four hundred thousand dollars in some cases maybe close to a million bucks if we're talking about New York, Washington, D.C., L.A., Chicago, this, that, and the third. We all heard stories about that. Land appreciate in value. Home ownership appreciates in value. This is about wealth. This is what's system. Let me let me help some of y'all out. Systemic racism is about tangibles. It ain't about, oh, we hate the niggers so much. It ain't about, oh, the niggers are so inferior. It, it ain't about that. It's about I'm going to systematically pass laws and enforce them to make sure I lock you out of tangible resources so I can have them for my group. Like I said, land is not the is the only thing that they're not making more of. Land is valuable. Land appreciates in value. They slaughtered the so-called Native American Indian. Why? Because they wanted to take the land. They needed to take the land. It is wealth. And they continue to discriminate against black people on housing, on land ownership, 
all the way up into 1985, probably up into 2005, 2015, probably. They're probably still doing it today, but they can prove that they did it all the way up into 1985. Why? Land equals wealth, guys. It equals wealth. So when we talk about reparations, it's not just because of what happened before the Civil War. It's not just because of what happened during the 50s and 60s. It's what's going on right now up into today, how black people have been systematically discriminated against and locked out of resources. That's what it's about. Housing discrimination, ground zero for white supremacy. Let's take it out to Cali. California hate crime up 31 percent in 2020, led by anti-black bias. This story, courtesy of the Associated Press, hate crime in California surged 31 percent in 2020, fueled mainly by a big jump in crimes targeting black people during a year that saw the worst racial strife in decades, according to an annual report released on June 30th by the state's attorney general. Overall. Hate crimes increased 31% last year, while the number of victims increased 23%. Black people account for 6.5% of the state's population, but were nearly 30% of the victims in all hate crimes. Overall, a jump of 87% from the previous year. This is a direct quote from the attorney general. What we see from these reports is what we have seen and felt all year. We are in the midst of a racial justice reckoning in this country. It's multifaceted and it cannot be solved overnight. All my California people be careful. Hate crime against black people specifically is surging all through California. I'm not from California, but here is what I know. Outside of the major cities, outside of L.A., outside of the Bay Area, California is very red. Now, it's this very liberal and it's very democratic where all the black people live. And in California, all the black people live in Southern California and in the Bay Area. California is a huge state. And between Southern Cali and the Bay Area, you got a lot of racist white people out there. And it's they proving it. They showing it. They taking action. Be careful out there, California folks. Now, amongst all this, amongst all this information that the attorney general has gathered, are they going to pass a, a bill in Cal- California to protect black people specifically, an anti-black hate crime bill like uh, the federal government did to protect Asian people? Not saying they didn't deserve it. They did. But it looks like we deserve it, too, because black people are getting targeted and they And if you are targeting a person based on race, you should be charged with a hate crime. All right. In most major metropolitan areas, the mass mandate is back. It went from get a vaccine to everybody that's vaccinated. This vaccine works so great. You don't have to wear a mask anymore, even if you're inside. Now they're saying, wait a minute, guys, Delta variant, put your mask on, even if you are fully vaccinated. It seems like the COVID is uh, is surging out there. It's making a comeback right before fall. And here's what 
the former head of the FDA had to say. He has gotten comfort around that, in my estimation. I do think once these get fully licensed, though, which is probably in short order, I do think you're going to probably see more businesses step in and mandate vaccines within the workplace. Oh, you think we're going to have companies saying you need to you need to get a vaccine if you want to come back in here? Certainly, if we see government agencies do it, municipalities, we're going to start to see businesses do it as well. And I'm talking to a lot of businesses that are contemplating this, and they're waiting for a full approval to make that decision. Okay. Dr. Scott Gottlieb is the former head of the FDA. Thank you for joining us this morning. We appreciate it. All right. Former head of the FDA, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, did an interview with NPR, and you just heard his comments. He also currently sits on the board at Pfizer. So this is someone in the know. This isn't some random person on the street. This isn't this is not some random person on YouTube. This is someone telling you what they know. He is saying that in the very near future, you are going to see companies make vaccines mandatory. Now, how you feel about the vaccine is how you feel about about the vaccine. We're all adults here. You do your own research. You make up your own decision but there is a big difference in saying hey we got this vaccine here's the scientific data i encourage everybody to get it i think it'll be good for you that's different from shifting to you cannot come back to work unless you have unless you are vaccinated now you're putting people in a position where you're taking choice out of it and you're forcing people to get the vaccine. Now, my question is, what's the punishment if you don't? I guess you're going to have to find a new place to work. What they're going to do is they are putting what 90 percent of the country in a position where they won't have any choice to get the vaccine if they want to keep their paycheck. And we know it's what close to 90 percent of America lives from check to check. You need that check to come in on time every two weeks to pay your rent, to buy food, to put clothes on your back, to take care of your kids. So you can't afford to miss a paycheck. So I guess you're going to be getting back. I guess you're going to be getting vaccinated pretty soon. I hear a lot of people standing on this square saying, oh, I'll quit or I'll do this or I'll do that. Let me tell you something. If enough of these companies get on the same page, you ain't going to have no choice but to take it. Simone Biles withdrew from the team finals in the Tokyo Olympics and cited that she needed to focus on her mental health instead of forcing herself to compete when she didn't feel like it was the right thing to do. She did receive criticism from people from uh, from people by the likes of Candace Owens, Pierce Morgan and YouTuber Charlie Kirk. Here's what Charlie Kirk had to say. Simone Biles says, this Olympic Games, I wanted to be for myself when I came in. And I felt like I was still doing it for other people, as she cried after the team event on Tuesday. So that just, it like hurts my heart because doing what I love has been kind of taken away from me to please other people. Yeah, that's the point, Simone Biles. You're representing your nation, you selfish, you're selfish sociopath. You kidding me? She's an incredible athlete. Of course she's an incredible athlete. I'm not saying, I just said she's probably the greatest gymnast of all time. She's also very selfish. She's immature and she is a shame to the country. Words are important and it's important that we know what words mean. Sociopath is a person with a personality disorder 
manifesting itself in extreme antisocial attitudes and behavior and a lack of conscience. So because Simone Biles had is going through a mental health issue and she feels like it would be best for her not to com- put herself in a position to compete when she's not not feeling right. That makes her a sociopath. These white folks, they don't give anything about this. system. They don't give a damn about this system. They don't give a damn about Simone Biles. The Olympics is very political. The Olympics is one country versus another country. They want Simone Biles to go out there and compete, not because they give a damn about Simone Biles. They want Simone Biles to go out there and compete because she knows they know she's the greatest gymnast in the world right now. And they want her to compete because they want Team USA to get the gold medal so they can say our country is better than Russia, is better than China, is better than Japan. USA, number one. USA, USA, USA. Right? They don't give a damn about these black athletes. They could kill less. You just another Negro that's supposed to go out there and perform to make America look good. Even though America don't give a damn about the Negro. There might be people out here listening that really don't understand gymnastics. So let me put it in its proper context. These Olympic athletes are the best athletes in the world. A lot, what a lot of people don't understand about gymnastics is how dangerous it is. These athletes' lives are literally on the line. When they do those flips and those twists and those spins in the air, you may not understand gymnastics, but maybe you've heard this term before, stick the landing. All right, you heard that before? You got to stick the landing. All right, that's a term from gym. That's a term derived from gymnastics because after they do these flips and twists in the air and spin around and, you know, in a circle three or four times like a ninja and land, they have to land perfectly. That's called sticking the landing. If you wobble, if you shift, if you move, that can reduce your score. Simone Biles is by far the greatest gymnast alive right now. Right. There are. Two moves that this sister does that no one in the world can do. They're actually named after her. You can Google this. They called this move the Biles, the Biles one and the Biles two. For a female Olympic gymnast, she's the only female Olympic gymnast in the world that can do these moves. These moves are so spectacular. The Olympic Commission had to change the way they grade. Because if they gave her a hundred every time, it would be no competition. So they had to start giving her less than one hundreds in order to make to keep her in the competition in order to make it competitive. That's how bad this sister is. Now, the one thing to keep in mind about gymnastics on the Olympic level is. If you land wrong, if you make a mistake, if you're off just a little bit, you can literally break your neck. I'm not exaggerating. Back in 1978, there was a Russian Olympic athlete named Alina Makina. All right. She was the Simone Biles of her day. Back in the 1978 Olympics, this Russian Olympic gymnast, she was the best in the world. 
she had a move no one else can do that they named after her. Does that sound familiar? During the Olympics, she went and she told her coach that she wasn't feeling right and she didn't think she could compete. Her coach pushed her out there and was like, look, go out there and do the move. She went out there. She did the move. This young lady slipped and fell on her chin and broke her spine. She never walked again. She died 20 years later, never walking again. That's how dangerous gymnastics is at the Olympic level. Now, Charlie Kirk don't give a damn if Simone Biles go out there and break her spine. Pierce Morgan and Candace Owens, they don't give a damn if she goes out there and kills herself as long as America gets a goddamn gold medal. And let's not forget the fact that Simone Biles was sexually assaulted by a former gymnastics coach. Remember that? So who knows what's going through this sister's head? So if she says she does, she feels like she should not compete because of mental health reasons and it's not going to be, it's not safe. Who in the hell is Candace Owens? Who in the hell is Charlie Kirk? Who in the hell is Pierce Morgan to question this sister? The mental pressure on black athletes is tremendous. Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka, hell during the season, Kyrie Irving. He came out and and spoke about mental health issues. Let's hear from psychologist and professor at Berkeley, Dr. Harry Edwards. Shapiro, last night gymnast Simone Biles said this on Instagram. I truly do feel like I have the weight of the world on my shoulders at times. Shortly after that post, Biles withdrew from the women's gymnastics final. She says she did so to focus on her mental health. That weight of the world Biles is talking about, it's something black athletes have described for generations. An expectation of black excellence under extreme pressure. Sociologist Harry Edwards first wrote about this more than 50 years ago in his book, The Revolt of the Black Athlete. He's a professor emeritus at UC Berkeley, and I spoke to him earlier today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. What do you think the experience of Simone Biles says about the bigger picture here regarding the expectations and pressures that are put on black American athletes? I think that it is indicative of something that has existed since blacks began participating in mainstream sports. From that point, they became the focus of not just athletic performance and excellence, but also of all of the aspirations of uh, black people in this country and uh, many of the fears of mainstream white society about black excellence. Uh, That's a lot of weight uh, on the shoulders of people who in many instances are are just barely young adults, while at the same time focusing uh, on their principal goal, which is athletic achievement. That's a lot of pressure. So you describe top-tier black athletes, black Olympians, as carrying the aspirations of black America, the fears of white America, the expectations of both. How does that tie into the broader black American experience beyond Olympians? Well, uh, the reality is that all of these uh, efforts at uh, protest and so forth involving athletes have always been framed up by the broader struggles uh, in uh, the society. The double V 
effort, victory over racism abroad and victory over racism at home, which was carried into World War II, was framed up uh, by abject segregation. Uh, segregation framed up the struggles of Jesse Owens and Joe Lewis and Jack Johnson and Paul Robeson and that whole first wave of athlete activists. Uh, the civil rights movement framed up the second wave of athlete activism with Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby in baseball and Kenny Washington and Woody Strode in football. And of course, uh, the Black Power Movement uh, at the end of the Civil Rights Movement framed up the actions of Smith and Carlos and Arthur Ashe, uh, who took it international in terms of his concerns over uh, South African apartheid and its role in perpetuating uh, racism at the international level. So there's a direct connection between perceived legitimacy of athlete activism uh, and the extent to which they are interpreted through and embedded in the broader uh, struggles for uh, freedom and justice and equality in American society. That has always been the case. The pressure these athletes are under is tremendous. No surprise that they may need to take a break and get their mental health together. For more on mental health, check out my brother, a taste to consider podcast he digs all the way in on mental health that's a great resource a great outlet to learn more this has been another episode of the unprocessed knowledge podcast again everybody should be following me on instagram at unprocessed underscore knowledge click the link tree in my bio access this podcast all three of my books available on amazon.com catch you next time i have no peace the culture the nature's different i don't hate you we can eat in your restaurant we want to marry your women we got your women now it ain't nothing we can't do today but these things the dog got i see dogs on television eating out the same plate with white people i see dogs in the buses and they do everything with the dogs so i ain't getting nothing the dog ain't got so really, ain't nothing in this integration. I need some land. I need some jobs. My people need jobs. We need some something so we can build and do for ourselves. And we must have some land. 40 million people. You know, it's a lot of Negroes just in New York and Cleveland, Baltimore, Washington, California. It's a lot of black. Ooh, that's a whole nation. 40 million, man. They don't tell you the truth about that. They want us to stop having babies.